Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After a quick respite at the end of the season, Bustin' Loose Baseball is back. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, and producer Darius Dameron. We will give you episode one of this offseason, looking ahead to some big decisions for the Nationals. Also check in on some of what's going on in the postseason. Regrettably, a lot of former Nats are still alive and flourishing, not in Nationals uniforms. We'll get into that on episode 43, starting right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. As I said, this is episode 43 of Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Grant with Danny and producer Darris making everything sound smooth. So 43, Nationals uniforms. I got Matt Albers. Who also, of course, pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers. Matty Albers. I got Rick Ankeel having worn number 43 in, in his uh, one of his seasons here in Washington. Anyone else jump to mind? Those are the two that I could find with some quick research. No, I'm way worse at remembering jersey numbers than you are, so I wouldn't have even pulled those two. The Rick Ankeel story, just as a quick side, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting footnote in baseball history. And, you know, at, at, when he came back as an outfielder, you know, probably an unremarkable overall player by major league standards, but it really is incredible how he was once the pitching prospect. He was once the guy. It was the prized possession for the St. Louis Cardinals came up and he was throwing gas and his breaking ball buckled people. And he was so nasty, caught the yips, started over in the minor leagues as an outfielder and made it back to the show and was an everyday player for a little while. Pretty amazing how it went. His probably biggest highlight here, Jeeps. And I want to see if you agree with this. He had a throw from center field where nothing happened. So I think it was like either a, a, sack, a, a potential sack fly or otherwise, and the, and the runner took one half step and just watched in abject horror as Rick Ankeel threw a strike from about 330 feet away. It was one of those 
oh my God, his arm is still absolutely beyond incredible. Just an amazing thing that that guy was able to get back to the show and 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 have some success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the story with Ankeel specifically as a national because you know the numbers when you look back at them aren't particularly good. He played 122 games in 2011, and then he played 32 games in 2012 when they obviously made the playoffs and won the division and got to the postseason for the first time. But his OPS plus was 81 and 85 in those two years, and you know his ops was 659, 694. He did hit 14 home runs. You know, showed some power. But you're right, the tools were legit. And the fact that he kind of had a second career, and how many guys can do that? It's amazing. Very few is the answer. Go from you get to the big leagues as a pitcher, then you have to start over and you get to the big leagues as a hitter. It's just not a thing. Uh, Matt Albers, I always liked him a lot. He came to Baltimore from Houston, if I remember, in the Miguel Tejada trade. I think I am got that right with Luke Scott and some other guys. Uh, Matt Albers, I liked him because he was a portly fellow. And as a portly fellow myself... Kind of a chunky dude. He did not look like a professional athlete. Kind of looked like a nerdy guy you'd see at a bar wearing a flannel shirt uh, with, like, poorly grown facial hair. Um, it sounds like I'm knocking Matt Albers. That's not really what I'm, I'm intending to do. I liked Matt Albers. But the thing about him that I always found hilarious, he would tug on his, like, jersey and his hat after every single pitch. It looked like he was so uncomfortable. He like was he was allergic to the material. Yeah. comfortable in a baseball uniform. I don't know if it was ill-fitting or why, but after literally every single pitch, I'm pretty sure every where he went with every single team, but certainly here in Washington, he would like tug at his jersey and kind of reposition how it was tucked in, but then he would always tug at his cap. It was like a every single pitch thing. Uh, that's that's my best Matt Albers memory for you. Am I remembering this right? It wasn't the plan, but I feel like there were like a few weeks where he was closing for a Nationals team that dramatically underachieved. Does that sound right to you? I mean, did he have saves? He did. I, I, I double. I mean, he had two saves that that uh, during the course of that 2017 season. But it feels like they were down to option number like 16, and it was like Matt, Matt's like the, the manager was like, "Do you want to do it?" And Matt Albers is like, "No, but okay." <laughs> I mean, he might have gotten save chances just on like B or C days when guys weren't up and available. But yeah, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, there were some rough stretches for the bullpens at that point in time. So I could see Matt Albers having spent a week or two as the the top option in the back of the bullpen maybe when some guys weren't healthy. Uh, but I always liked uh, Matty Albers. So there you go. Episode 43, a couple of guys. And who that's wore it for us this week. That nope. uniform number. <laughs> uh, we're back at it next week on Bustin' Loose Baseball. I actually thought we should talk a little bit about what's going on in the Major League Baseball postseason just from a Nats perspective because it is pretty amazing how much Nationals – flair there is in all of these games, for lack of a better phrase. So we could start in the NLCS. Game one of the league championship series, the big story for the Phillies, was Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber both hitting home runs. Yep. Bryce Harper obviously drafted, developed, and became a star, won his first MVP award with the Nationals here in D.C. And then Schwarber, who had one of the most iconic and legendary runs in Nationals history before moving on from D.C., being traded to the Boston Red Sox. For Aldo Ramirez last year, uh, hitting what was, by the way, one of the most impressive and prodigious home runs I've ever seen, like point blank. It was 488 feet, and it was 120 miles per hour off the bat. And it felt every every ounce of that. I mean, it was unbelievable. So just to put it in context, the Nationals, during Schwarber's time here, had one winning month over the course of that year. And it was the month that Kyle Schwarber turned into 
Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, you know, incarnate. He was, I've, I don't remember seeing a hitter that great in the, kind of this non-steroid era. Really, for, for that month, he was so scolding hot, it was unbelievable. He basically let off every other game, it seemed like, with a home run. And then if he didn't lead off with a home run, he would hit one later on in the ballgame. The guy was absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting role having him be a leadoff man here, but it's just a presence at the top of a lineup that just, you know, you, it's it's tough for pitchers because you make a mistake, he can do that. It's not one of those, like, pesky little leadoff guys that might work the count and slap the ball the other way. Uh-uh. You make a mistake, you throw him a cookie, it's going 488 at about a million miles an hour. So that was game one. The Phillies take a 1-0 lead in the NLCS. Game two, the story again was that former Nationals came through. It was on the other side of the equation, though. Juan Soto, after losing a ball in right field in the sun to the old sun monster, as Bryce Harper used to call it with Jason Worth, came through in the clutch big time for the Padres and delivered a massive double later in the game that helped get them over the hump in their comeback. For the performance overall, Juan Soto was just one for five with that run scored in RBI uh, with a strikeout in the game. But one of the biggest swings of the game came from Josh Bell, who hit a home run down the line and then later had an RBI knock, drove in two, went three for four as the DH for the Padres. So you had a combined four hits and three stakes from Soto and Bell, who Washington traded to San Diego in that blockbuster that brought back the Nats, you know, five key pieces for the future. And it wasn't just those two in the game. If, if you, you know, look at the box score, some heavy lifting in that comeback was done against former Nationals great Brad Hand. Brad, Mr. Hand. Who could not get an out and gave up two hits and one run earned because he was bailed out after he left. I still maintain, and Brad Hand's butt nice guy. We had him on the show, and I remember uh, did a great interview with him. And I, I do, I, I root for him. He seems like a good person. But he was so bad in Washington in his less than one full season here. Uh-huh. I mean, you can make the case that almost single-handedly, and, and that's maybe aggressive, excessive, hyperbolic, not nice, I don't know. But you really can make the case that almost single-handedly he led to the fire sale in 21 because of how many games he blew, because of how many leads weren't safe, and then that Orioles series, and I might be misremembering this, you could tell me, but I'm pretty sure when they got swept by the Orioles, they had leads in the ninth inning when he was trying to nail down a save twice, and he blew those games. And they got swept, and it was like on the drive home from Baltimore, as we now know, that Mike Rizzo was making calls saying, we're trading Max, and we might have to trade Trey as well. Yeah, that's pretty much it, kind of kind of a deal. Um, single-handedly is aggressive. It's a little bit aggressive, because that team underachieved. But, like, he was really, really bad. Every time they could have nailed a game down. No, it felt that way. It got really difficult. Uh, I would say he was an accelerant <laughs> in, in the conflagration, in the teardown. Uh, like if you know, we're talking about taking a building that used to be tall and strong and and hardy and could withstand anything. He was a wrecking ball. I mean, he didn't take out everything, but he took out the East Wing. So yeah, I, it, it is interesting to, to think about. He went through a. What were just, his numbers here? So overall, I don't think they were crazy bad. Let me let me look back at it because I'm looking at the game logs in July for what you're talking about, and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, oh my god. I feel god. like his ERA was probably like three seven or something. That's not terrible. But if you look at just kind of the three six, three five nine yeah. overall, and, and what so was his FIP? His FIP was higher than that. Four I three think. four. Yeah. So again, not like four three though. As a closer, it's not good. is pretty terrible. Nobody's saying that it's good, yeah. I, but it, it wasn't like you know. 
I, I don't have a great comp. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like Henry Rodriguez saves in 12. Saves blown or, saves. Let me see. He had to have blown five or six games. He saved 21 games and why can't I find blown saves? Oh, it's on baseball reference. They don't have that handy. Isn't that, awkward? Isn't that annoying that they don't have that handy it's on baseball annoying. reference? So I'm ruining the podcast by now. But. That's all right. I'm going to pull it up while you're talking. Yeah. But my prediction is that he blew five or six games. It, it, and it felt worse than Which, that. Which, by either. the way, if not for those five or six games, and I'm not expecting perfection, but let's say it was only two games, you know, maybe you're not selling. Maybe you're closer to the wild card or yeah. what have you. But it, it's all reasonable. I mean, so it he, was a nightmare. Is he, my point. Yeah, he was an integral factor in it. And this was the, you know, when. It, We've talked to Mike Rizzo so many times about it, and he's sort of, you know, his actions have said this as well, how he feels about constructing bullpens. You got the number? Five blown saves. 21 out of 26. On the nose. And that was not even at the midway point of the year. I mean, the— You're on pace for basically 10 BS. Yeah. Uh, His his feeling always about about bullpens was they're so fickle from year to year, right? The performance is up and down. So a guy that's reliable, Mr. Reliable— Everyday Eddie for a, for a manager, he'll keep going to him. So now you've got seventy plus appearances for some guy, and then we kind of look up. We think of a dude as reliable. Well, he falls off a cliff after a year or two years or whatever. Well, why? Probably overuse. Because for every time you're getting up and going into game seventy times, you probably got a uh, uh, as as the boys like to call it. Can I say this on the podcast? You got a dry hump in the bullpen where you warm up and don't come in, which guys hate. Uh, that was the whole Matt Thornton, um, uh, Matt Williams kind of uh, issue so many years ago where guys were furious about that. So, yeah, Rizzo's philosophy on building bullpens was we'll just sort of do it midstream. We'll find somebody that's throwing well and, and go trade a middling prospect for it, and that's just how we'll do it. Occasionally that backfires, right, where you don't overpay for a guy like a Brad Hand. You don't overpay for a you know a Papelbon or a Rafael Soriano or whatever. I mean, there I always point to this. When it comes to bullpen philosophy, we'd come into the season and go, yeah, their bullpen's the weakness. They won 98 games with uh, Brad Lidge – who was throwing about 10 miles an hour less than his prime in Houston, and Henry Rodriguez as co-closers. They figured it out as they went, and that's always what they'll do. Occasionally, though, that does backfire, and that was one of the times I think it did. We did way more breaking down of Brad Hand than I thought we were going to do. We today. hadn't planned on it. I mean, we've just brushed past Harper, Schwarber, Soto, and Bell, and there's just a lot of diving into the bullpen usage. Hardcore hand talk. With Brad Hand. That's what people come to the uh, Boston Loose Baseball podcast for. Don't forget about Craig Stammen, though. The Stammer. I don't really know what's going on with his status, but he is a longtime national and longtime Padre now who has a chance to win a ring as well and is part of the Nats theme as you watch these games. I saw him exchanging a lineup card the other night. Uh, He was one of the longest-tenured nationals ever. Ryan Zimmerman, the longest-tenured, I believe, Strasburg Clippard are the only other guys with more years of service and then there's like 20 dudes who have been in the Nats for seven seasons, one of whom is Craig Stammen. Stammer, so he's in that conversation as well. All-time great guy, too. It was always it was always great for a, a quote or a chat or a convo um, among media folks. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman and some others referred to him with a very rare – I don't want to say – what's the right word here? Gave him a very dignified title. He had an official title on the roster. Do you remember what it was? I do not. Craig Stammen was known as their tournament director. Any and all things gambling, fantasy football, putt-putt challenges, off-site activities, Craig Stammen put those things together. He was the commissioner of every league they did. He was the guy that was running the survivor pools, the fantasy leagues, fantasy basketball, football, you know, as I said, like golf, betting on the off days, whatever it was, Craig Stammen was the guy that got that together. And everybody needs a team like that. 
You know, I, I always think of the, the the Bobby Bonilla story coming to the Orioles where it was 25 guys, 25 cabs, and he's bringing everybody together. Now, Bonilla, obviously a great player, uh, especially at that point, and Stammen's a, a you know, middle to late inning reliever, but still every team needs a dude like that. All-time great guy, Craig Stammen, rooting for him. Nice thing for Bobby Bonilla, too, is with that $1 million he gets every year from the Mets, yep. he could buy everyone their cab or just pay sure. for the bus that sure. drives everybody. Dinner's on me as of about 20 minutes ago when the check hit my account. Which is a lucky thing for Bobby Bonilla. So that was the NLCS Nats flavor. On the American League side, not nearly as much in terms of former Nats. But obviously Dusty Baker's managing the Houston Astros. I think that a lot of Nats fans probably want Dusty and Houston to win the World Series so that he gets that long-awaited ring because he's put so much into this game for so long and you'd love for him as one of the most accomplished regular season managers of all time in terms of wins and divisions and postseason appearances, he's had nothing to show for it in the playoffs. So my guess is there are plenty of people listening to this pod who love the Nats who will pull for Houston for Dusty's sake. And I don't belittle that. I have no problem with that. That's your prerogative. Um, I also would like Dusty at some point to win a title, uh, but I would like it to be after this run with Houston. Ideally, uh, I can't root for the Astros. And I actually think, you know, call me cynical, call me nefarious or a jerk or whatever. Uh, I think part of the Dusty Baker hire was 100% for this reason, so that people are pulling and rooting for them on Dusty's behalf because he is so beloved and he is such a good guy inadvertently. You know, they wanted nice columns. They wanted people to, to not be as mean to them and as angry about them when everyone was angry and hated the Astros because they cheated. And so they hired the guy who has the most relationships with power players in the media who the writers say the nicest things about. And the evil team became a somewhat kind of evil team that's led by this beloved man. And it changed the narrative right away. So I think that it was partially strategic. I see right through it. I'm not rooting for the Astros. I will not be rooting for the Astros anytime in the foreseeable future. I don't think it was partially strategic. I think it was 100% what you just said. Because that team is built with computer programs. That team is built with nerds and player development and Yeah, whether it's Dusty or someone else, they'll win their 95 games yeah. and make the playoffs. You, me, everybody listening could could walk in, fill out that lineup card with some input from a couple people, and it'll be optimized, and you'll have a little index card as to say when to go to which reliever and what matchups, and you could manage that team to mid-90s wins because they're excellent. And it's annoying that they're excellent, by the way. It's In fact, it's infuriating that they just continue to be really good. They replace... You know, stars that have departed, and of course now the next one is Jordan Alvarez, who is unbelievable. Uh, how how great that guy is! He's going to be one of the you know, the best players of this generation, in my opinion, as, as a slugger. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a fascinating phenomenon with with Dusty Baker. There are a few guys that kind of get this status, and he's probably it's almost like I almost want to call it Dusty Baker status, where if you criticize the decision. As a, as a baseball watcher, as a fan, in, in a very reasonable way, the reflexive defensiveness of a cadre of dustyites, of, of, of people that have been in the media for however long, who otherwise criticize everybody, will throw hand grenades in any room, whether they know what's going on or not, it's fascinating. It is one of the most bizarre things in the world. Like, I, uh, there's there was a guy locally here in town, I'm not going to name any names, but who demanded that... Uh, you know, a, a head coach on the football team, you know, be fired because he was terrible and he couldn't do anything right and he was a boob and, and and had no idea what he was going on. But when a question was asked, hey, does it 
is it does this make sense having a guy that was a you know a street free agent who was teaching classes does it make sense to have him hitting second when you've got all these great guys uh, back lower in the lineup that was you know met with well did you interview every single person on the roster to see how they felt about the batting order decisions like the the standards are bizarre but because Dusty did it, it must be the right thing it just turns to gold when he believes something or, or orients himself that way it's always been so strange to me again all time great guy hilarious. Makes you feel like a million bucks. He does little things like he'll play you on your birthday, or you yeah. know, if, if you're if, if you're going to your hometown, he gives you like the morning off to have breakfast with your parents. I mean, whatever it is, he's just a great people person, and that's what this organization needed, quite frankly, because they're ready made. They're so good. He just is there to make everybody feel good and feel happy. And if they are that, they'll win their hundred games. Yeah, and he is a good manager. But he is. I would also say that he gets hired to to manage good teams now. I mean, he's kind of got that status where. Like you're, we're bringing you in as a team that is yep. really, really good. To do try you have to, a ready-made contender? Exactly. Like you go help us get to our 97 wins. The problem is none of those teams that are good enough to make the playoffs have made the run, and maybe the Astros will this year, and, and he'll finally get his ring. I just got the list. My buddy uh, Zach Bow sent it to me, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this along. So Zim 16 seasons, most ever for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Strauss 13 seasons. Tyler Clippard, because of this year, third all alone, no longer in the wow. tie with everybody else, eight seasons with the Nationals. And then you got a slew, like a dozen guys with seven years, of which Craig Stammen is one of those guys. So it's Trey, Michael A., Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper, Gio Gonzalez, Jason Wirth, Danny Espinosa, Willie Ramos, Ian Desmond, Craig Stammen, Jordan Zimmerman, and Ross Detweiler. So after... Next season, if Fetty and Robles are still here, they will be tied for fourth on the all-time list in seasons with the Washington That's Nationals wild. at seven. Pretty crazy. Uh, but anyway, I thought uh, that was just interesting to throw out. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Long gone. All right, elsewhere, let's get into some offseason stuff. So before we talk contracts and moving forward and who's going to be in, who's going to be out, ownership. Not really much brewing here. I would tell you that just based on reading some tea leaves and some conversations I've had with people in the market, I think Ted Leonsis does really want to buy this team. I'm very confident in the fact that Ted is going to try his best to buy this team. I do think Masson is a major sticking point, and they would have to sort that out. He has monumental sports. 
They now have the Wizards, the Capitals, and they own NBC Sports Washington. And so Ted is the, the majority, or I guess the, the exclusive full owner now of NBCSW, I believe is how it works. Uh, so Monumental Sports will run that network. I think, and I'm, I'm speculating based on a couple of conversations I've had with people, I think he'd like to have the baseball team and have all of them on that one network. You know, you got the Wizards, you got the Capitals, you got the right. baseball team, and do it that way. Um, the problem, obviously, is that the Masson deal is just a disaster. And it's a, it is a bear. And I don't know that he can buy the team or would buy the team if they can't sort that out in some way. But I do think that among all the names I've heard, you know, Leonsis is most recently the one that has come up the most with the people that I've talked to for whatever that's worth. And it's worth something. I, but let, let me ask you this. Let me kind of flip it back. That Masson thing, I, now I'm not a lawyer. I know nothing. I just, I read what you guys do. But it doesn't seem like a resolution is close. It doesn't seem like, oh, it's just around the corner. Because if it was, I think the learners might still keep the team. Beyond that, any ownership group that comes in needs to see light at the end of the tunnel, needs to see some kind of resolution to that, even if it's not satisfactory in the short term. A long-term, viable television deal is essential to this market, full stop. I mean, I, I think that, it's, and that would be true for anywhere, but, but especially here as they're still trying to build generations of fans, right? So anybody that, would, that might want to buy it, might say, hey, the price should be this or it could be this, but it's not because of the Masson deal. How sure are we that the learners are going to go through with the sale? I've kind of d- thought of this the whole time as, oh, of course, they're, they're done. That's it. Of course, they're trying to get out of here. If they don't get the price they want because of this Masson deal, or do you think they because there's enough bidding, they'll just get it? But like, how sure are we that they're going to go through with well, this? Well, this I guess is, is something I brought up on Grant and Danny not long ago, and I think this is a, a possibility. I mean, you know, the way it was – brought up to me was why did they never sell the naming rights to nationals park it's not because they didn't have interest in it the learners decided that they wanted x amount of dollars for the naming rights and then based on market eventually pandemic recession i don't know if we're using that word or not but people spending less now inflation all all the stuff that's going on They've never been able to get what they want to make it Pepsi Park. You know what I mean? Yep. To, to make it Coca-Cola Park in, in, in Southeast D.C. And so they just haven't sold the naming rights. They, in a lot of ways in business, the way it was described to me is, they determine what they think is the right amount to get for something. Uh-huh. And they're not going to budge. Like If they can't get that, they'll take their ball and they'll go home. And that is better than selling something at 60 cents or 80 cents on the dollar. And so the way that it was just kind of suggested to me is how sure are we that with the team, it has been valued at a certain rate. The Mets sale though, and some other recent sales would make you think they might not get that entire amount. Like what if they can't get what they think they should for the team? Would they just sell it or could they continue to go down the road of owning the team? I mean, we're in speculationville now, I would say, but, but I would also add that I've just heard that, and within the, the learner ownership group and family, there are so many conflicting opinions on what they should do. Like, Mark does seem, just from the outside looking in, like he enjoys owning the team the most. Uh-huh. He went to Fredericksburg to see freaking Yarlin Susana. You know what I mean? Like, yes. that's a guy that enjoys baseball. I bumped into him at a game toward the end of the season, and we're just sitting there talking ball, and I told him I had just seen you, Susana and James Wood, and I'm showing him videos on my phone. He's like, wow, look at how that guy rounds first. You know I mean, he's a baseball fan. Uh-huh. He seems way more into and interested in running that thing than some of the other members of the family. So it would not shock me 
if some of them want out and some of them want to keep it, and when you got so many fingers in the pot with siblings and kids and however this is all going to go, this gets messy. This gets complicated. So I don't think it's just as simple as they're definitively selling, it's a done deal, and you know, like it's been talked about all along. That's never been the reporting. Go back and read Barry Sperluga in the Post or any of the stories. They they initially were looking into the possibility of if they could sell. Then I think it was they would like to sell. Would I bet on them selling? I would. I still would. I still think it's over you know 50% that they would sell. But you, I, all you said was, are we sure? And I think the answer to that should be, no, we're not sure. Two points that I, that I don't want to bring up just because you, you you got my mind working there. Uh, we We would see Mark Lerner. Right, Mark Lerner was the face, right, and, and he's he's the guy that's out front, quotes on record, etc. I mean, he's the he's the baseball owner, but behind the scenes, you touched on something. They are by committee. This is the Lerner family, and there are a couple son-in-laws. There's a, a daughter-in-law. It's like a group of twelve or thirteen people, and they move at a glacial-like pace on a lot of things, and that's been to the frustration of some. You, you'll hear that every once in a while, where it's like, I'd like to do something, you know. I'll find out in six months if I get to do it or not. You know, that, that kind of stuff. Whether it's, I want to install this camera, I want to hire this position coach, or I want to hire a roving minor league instructor for, for 20K on the side. It Everything they do takes a while. So that's that's another part. Second is, on the on the learner's business side, when it, when it comes to a commercial real estate, a very good friend of mine dealt with the learner organization on, on something, on a long-term deal that ended up not happening. And it wasn't malicious. It just sort of was, you know, Kind of the way that it went. And the point that he made to me, just kind of anecdotally talking about the learners and, and baseball and the like, and he said what you just said. They have a price, and that's the price. It's not a let's meet halfway, let's figure out what works for everybody. It's this is what works for us. Here's the number. And my friend and his company's like, well, th- this is what about this? What about this? There's no what about with them. This is the number. If the number's not met, then we don't have anything. And for months and months, they tried it different ways, and the number wasn't met, so they both shook hands and said fairly well. I think that's telling. That's the way they've kind of done it. It's how they became billionaires. They don't lose negotiations. I mean, they they rake the city over the coals in D.C. in terms of some of the little metrics for construction and milestones and and different deals. And they got they won big time. Opened the eyes, kind of. Uh, I think of of the local market to that. So so at the end of the day. I'm not sure anymore. I, 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 if you'd asked me two, three weeks ago, I'd be like, yeah, of course it's happening. Of course it is. The, it's a Major League Baseball team. There are only so many times that someone has a chance to get into these incredible groups of ownerships in one of the four major sports in the United States. right? Of course people are going to be interested. Of course the bidding is going to be there, even with some of the weaknesses. Now I'm not as sure as I was. I'd still bet on it like you said, but I'm not sure. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Zoom. 
All right, enough about ownership for now. As something develops, we'll get to it this offseason. Let's talk about the team and some of the decisions ahead. So I was looking at some of the contracts going into 2023, and this is just based on baseball reference and what they've got everybody assigned for next year. Strasburg, $35 million, highest paid player on the team. That's fascinating in and of itself. What happens? I mean, is there any chance he retires? I doubt it, but, I mean, that's a possibility. Will we see him pitch again? I think he doesn't pitch next year. I think we've probably seen him pitch for the last time if I had to put money on it. But he could still rehab. He could still go through the motions. He could still go to Florida and try to to, to come back and, and cash paychecks, I mean, for, for lack of a better term. But $35 million to him. $24.2 million to Patrick Corbin, second-highest-paid player on the team going into 2023 as of right now. Corbin is also interesting. I mean, just because you can't do anything with that number. Now, you might be able to get out of that deal some part of next year, halfway through the year, two-thirds of the way through the year. Maybe you dump him or you trade him or something, and, and you eat some of the money, and he goes and pitches out of somebody's bullpen. My question on Corbin next year is, if we just skip past Strauss and assume he's not going to pitch, Patrick Corbin, does he end up in the pen at some point? Do they continue to start him every five days and just allow him to do – what he's done as the worst pitcher in the National League for the last three years. I just got to imagine that at some point next year, he's in that David Price role where he's pitching two innings or so at a time, and he's just a lefty out of the pen in the middle innings. Yeah, it's not ideal, but I I, I would guess that's where we'll end up. They'll, they'll give him a go in the starting rotation. You know, more sets of eyes, maybe find the thing that, that fixes him. You know, I mean, that's always – one of those, you know, you you pray that maybe he'll figure something out or they'll figure something out. They'll notice something is delivery or otherwise. I just don't think the stuff is the same anymore. I just I, that's just kind of I don't think you can fix that or, or correct that. You can you can adjust and make yourself slightly more, you know, uh, in a more effective version of this lesser guy. But I think the fact remains it is a lesser guy. So yeah, I'd expect it. They'll give him a chance to start maybe for a month or two, and then I think you'll see him in that role you described. Crazy to me though. I mean, absolutely insane to me that those are basically the two guys making any money next year on this entire team. That's right. Like, you're going to pay out Nelson Cruz $3 bucks. He's going to be gone, I think. Then you've got a bunch of dudes who are ARB eligible. A Luke Voigt, who made over $5 million this year, is going to make something similar to that next year. Eric Fetty made over $2 million. will probably make a couple million bucks next year. Robles made one6 Give him some type of raise, I suppose. Get him closer to $2 mil. Guys like Rainey, Stevenson, um, Ildemaro Vargas, you know, they're all arbitration eligible. They'll be sub $1 million type players. Rainey might crack a million for the first time. But it's just amazing to me that they're in such a good financial spot in yes. every area other than Strasburg and Corbin. And it balances out to be overall probably not good because those contracts are so terrible. Right. But, I mean, there, there's not a single guy on, like, a three-year, $14 million deal or a four-year, $50 million contract that they've signed, which speaks to just how uninvolved they've been, honestly, over the last couple of off-seasons of actually signing veterans. Uh, they've got – I just went through the arbitration-eligible guys, Voight, Fetty, Robles, Tanny, uh, Tanner Rainey, and Stevenson with uh, Vargas. I mean, of those guys, who's your priority – to make happy in arbitration, maybe avoid arb and, and get a, a deal cut with. It's Voight for me is, is the only guy I'd yeah, say. I would try to trade him if you can. Uh, I And I, I would love that. I just, I think you need the adult in the room. I think you need the, the popular guy to, to keep everybody loose who can also bop a little bit for you, at least be a presence in the lineup. 
I don't hate the idea. I think if you could get something that you liked, spin it. Go for it. Let, let's all have at it. But I don't know what the marketplace will be uh, for him. But I'm intrigued by that. But, yeah, of, of those guys, I'd, I'd go, I'll take my chances in arbitration with Fetty. I'll take my chances with some of these other dudes. They're not going to break the bank um, in terms of my sum. But just kind of quick and dirty doing some math, I've probably got their payroll right now as it stands with some increases in arbitration, et cetera, in the mid-70s, like $75 million bucks with the two guys plus the $3 million buyout for, for Cruz. So really two guys accounting for about 60 of that, of their, of their $75 million. It is hilarious. It just shows you where they are. Well, then you got free agents, right? So are any of these guys going to be brought back? I mean, Will Harris, who they signed at 3-24 and 24 and really has never pitched for them, essentially. I mean, you just allow him to walk. Yep. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, who they signed to a one-year, $4 million deal, hit for no power. He walks. Walk. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him back just because they're going to be bad, but they shouldn't, and you can find another guy a lot like him uh, for less money. Uh, Joe Ross is going to be a free agent for the first time. I I would like to see them retain him, especially because they don't have proven solutions. There's going to be some innings to be had. There's spots in this rotation, perhaps. The problem with Ross is just the the – Health. Bevy of injuries yeah. and not knowing if he can pitch or not. But because of that, it's not like he's going to go get money anywhere else. I mean, you know this group. You know this training staff. You know the guys that are rehabbing you. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not mutual interest for Joe Ross to come back here. I'd like to see that as just a buy-low flyer type option. I'm with you. Uh, 4A Freddy there. You know, he'll wear out miles between you know here and, and upstate New York. But I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, because, again, it's if and if somebody – Wants to beat you in a bidding war? You let him. Thank goodness. I appreciate your time, but I can't imagine a huge, you know, uh, no, nobody's bidding. Yeah, a, a huge, you know, a huge asking price for him, and it's it's a flyer, as you said, because if he's right for 15, 20 starts, what a bonus that is. Now he may want a fresh start, and if that's the case, he just wants to go somewhere else. Fairly well. Try again, then it is what it is. Uh, Steve Ciszek's a free agent after his one year, one point seven five million dollar deal this year. He'll be thirty seven. Yeah, thank thanks you. for the time. Sean Doolittle, World Series hero, one of my favorite Nats ever, free agent. Same, same. After the injury, uh, again, it was a good idea, and he got off to a really good start for a couple of weeks. But it is what it is. Uh, he's probably thrown his last pitches in that. I hope he's around the org in some capacity in the future. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez was inexplicably and hilariously their pitcher of the year as a middle reliever this season. Um, he is going to be a free agent. I mean, I'd be shocked if they don't bring him back just because that's kind of what they like to do. Yeah. But why not? I mean, he pitched well. It's a it's a role that you're going to need, whether it's, you know, it's like the Yusmero Petit couple inning at a time. Oh, no, someone has a bubble guts and, and going to the bathroom every hour. We need you to start tonight. And, uh, you know, he did that really well. Whatever you need, right? He's the, you know, he's the Daniel Day-Lewis for the for the bullpen. Yeah, you bring, bring him back. He, he doesn't cost very much, so go for it. Then there's a ton of guys who are RB eligible otherwise that are a little bit younger into the process. Your Hunter Harvey, Victor Oranos, Lane Thomas, Kyle Finnegan's, all the way down to your 4A types with Jeffrey Rodriguez. And um, obviously, you know, Luis Garcia is still in his infancy on this rookie deal. And that pretty much is is your roster. I, I wonder how active they'll be or how active they should be in free agency. You know, I'd like them to do more than they've done the last couple of years. I'm kind of over the um, inactivity, uh, the, the lack of competitiveness. Now everyone pretends like last year, like, oh man, Nats fans, it's tough. This is you're gonna find out what it's like to be bad again. They're they're taking it on the chin. No, this is three years of this. I mean, they were terrible, not by design, but they were horrendous in twenty. In yep. 20. They were awful in twenty one, and after they sold off their pieces, they were on their way to a hundred losses. If there was another couple weeks in the season, they lost upper nineties. 
And last year, they were the worst in baseball. So this has actually been three years. I'm not just giving you three more of these, you know? At some point, you got to give me a reason to go to the ballpark. So who who is my draw? They got to go get someone. They got to make a trade. They've got to bring in a piece so that when everyone shows up at spring training, you know, your lead story isn't that Patrick Corbin's going to rebound or one last ride for Victor Robles. You better bring in a bat who's projected to hit 30 homers. You better bring in an arm to anchor this rotation. Doesn't have to be an ace, you know, but just a middle-of-the-rotation type arm to go with Cavalli and JoJo and the young guys that you've assembled here like Mackenzie Gore. They got to do something. I'm not asking you to go on a spending spree. I know they're not going to do that, but they can't sit the offseason out again. I'm, I'm not having that. I co-signed that. Now, here's what they might tell you if, if you, you know, get somebody in a room and we're doing like a good cop, bad cop interrogation kind of thing. This was the first year of our rebuild. Those I, other years, they were bad. They weren't bad by design. Not that that makes it better, but they weren't. They, this is now we're actually starting the process of trying to build something. So we were trying to be good in 2020. Weird COVID. We saw it. It happened. Okay, that was, they thought in their minds, okay, we still have our window. We're still good. 2021 was the disaster. That was the year where they thought they'd be pretty good, have a chance to compete again, and they just didn't, despite having all the names, for the most part, minus a couple that won us a World Series. Well, now they found out that the window is closed. Oh, crap, we got to start over. Here comes your fire sale. So the first year of their rebuild was this year, and they'll go, we need some patience and time, or we're really going to spend I'll a whole bunch patience of money. And time. But there is a difference between that and what happened this year. I agree with that. Inexplicably awful, bad baseball. You can be bad, but you don't have to be the Baltimore Orioles, especially now. Especially, you just finished dead last in baseball by, I think, like five games. What'd you get for it? You got the same chance at the top pick as a team that was, you know, two teams up the standings. You barely you. missed the playoffs. So, there's a there's a pretty sizable gap here between, you know, what they are and, and just, again, give me a reason to go to the park. After the trade this season... Unless you're like us, and, and ideally most of our listeners of this pod are, are baseball-centric, baseball nerds, and, lo- and love the game enough that C.J. Abrams or Mackenzie Gore or Cade Cavalli, like those are reasons to go to the ballpark. But they need a draw for the average fan. And if they're not going to do that, they need to lower prices. Like They have not lowered ticket prices. I think they've gone up. I mean, the concession stands, we, we did. We talked about it on the pod at, yes. at one point. They were like one of the higher... Uh, I think it was top five. Am, am I wrong about that in terms of price to go to the game with four people? Right? If, no, if, if memory serves, yeah, it's it, it's up there. Like the, then, then you have to cut and slash some of that. I mean, you can't just keep living off of the twelve to nineteen era where they were the best team in the division and one of the top three or so teams in baseball with the Dodgers and the Yankees or the Cardinals or whoever it is, and just keep charging at that rate. Like if I'm going to the ballpark to see a team that Lane Thomas and Erasmo Ramirez are your hardware winners. Best hitter, best pitcher for the season. You got to do something for me. I, I'm not paying those prices, man. So you you want me to pay? I mean, I, they're not going to go there and judge. But my point is, go get a star. Like, give me something to watch. And by the way, you could still be terrible. You get one player in here, it's not going to change everything. They had freaking Juan Soto this year. They were you know, on their way to dead last in, in baseball. So you can have your cake and eat it too, but I need a reason to be there and be excited. I'm 100% with you. I, I co-signed that 100%, and that's my response to the, well, we just started our rebuild, and now we're doing this by design, and look at all the players we have on the way. On the way, as you like to say, doesn't put the Triscuit crackers in my stomach. It, does, it doesn't give me the chicken tender basket and fries. I need something more. What are you going to do? And I think there's a, a crossroads here for this ownership group. If it's still them, if it's a new ownership group, I think they need to recognize that challenge.
Hopefully Hassel gets to the big leagues next year. He obviously had a pretty disappointing run after the trade when he got here. Uh, next time on Boston Loose Baseball, we should go through the young major leaguers this year that were so important. Your uh, JoJo uh, and and K Bear group, um, you know Josiah Gray and Ruiz and some of these young players and. Did they take the the steps we wanted? If they didn't, why not? And how do they do that next year? And where are we at on some of the young big leaguers? Not the prospects, but the young big leaguers in this organization. Thanks for listening. Please spread the word. We're going to be here all offseason for you. We'll do emergency pods as necessary whenever big news breaks. And we've got regularly scheduled podcasts each and every week here on Boston Loose Baseball. Thanks for listening. For Danny, I'm Grant saying so long. Producer Darris. Thanks as always to Producer Darris. We're back at it next week.